Hello and welcome to Conversations with Criminals. My name's Matt Price. This is the podcast where I speak to people who've been on the wrong side of the law and try to understand what makes them tick. This is season two or episode eight, depending on how you want to look at it. And it's an absolute corker. This is with a guy from Cornwall. I've done it in two parts because I felt that it warranted that. It's one of the best conversations I've had. We discuss crime in Cornwall. We discuss drug dealers. We talk about the logistics of robbing drug dealers and, of course, violence in prison. It was utterly fascinating. I felt very lucky to meet this guy. He has done 10 years in prison, basically. came out a couple of times for a brief spell and he's extremely insightful. And actually, when when I left, I remember him saying to me, oh, I, I hope that wasn't too boring. Well, I know he's going to be listening to this and I know his wife's going to be listening to this. All I can say is I wish I was as tedious as you. What what an interesting life you've had and I wish you the very best. It was great to meet you and thank you for welcoming me into your home and it was great to meet your cat as well who I have to say at various points you can hear purring in the background. This is an absolute belter. What a great way to start a new season and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I enjoyed every second of it. So, one of the, I, I, I love sort of being from Cornwall, and it occurred to me yesterday that people further up country, or as we say in Cornwall, up country, probably think, well, hang on, Cornwall is sort of pasties and cream teas. There can't be any organised crime, is there? That's, that's not necessarily true. Um, it's, Cornwall is a smaller populated area but it's uh, it's it's the same crime wise nonetheless it just might be on a slightly smaller scale but there still is plenty of crooks down here making thousands of pounds every week um on an organized level rather than just kind of you know yeah your local dealers and people selling to their friends and things okay well and when you say organized you're talking about people with serious money and serious weapons yeah most definitely um Maybe not as as in, you know, like your Manchester gangs who could have access to machine guns and things at the snap of a finger, but there's definitely guns that you could get hold of. Um, there's definitely people who will put you in the back of a car and take you off to the cliffs to go and hang you over the edge if you misbehave. Um, but equally, you know, if you if you don't misbehave and, you know, you stick to the rules, you'll never see any of it. So, um, yeah. Stick to the rules. <laughs> what, what are the rules? That interests me. Um, same as anything else, just be a straight goer. You know, if you if you are given a parcel of drugs to sell, go and sell it and give them the money back on time. That's that's as difficult as it gets. Um, but people, um, when you're dealing with the drugs world and when you're dealing with criminals and you know people, it's it's greed on every level. Um, and if they can keep all of the money rather than paying you back, then they'll do so. Um, so that's occasionally as retarded as it sounds. They will rip off drug dealers and things for the sake of a few weeks in the sun um, and then they'll spend the rest of their life on the run. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, it's just, it's it's greed um, and they'll burn their bridges while they're standing on them. Um, but yeah, people are like that sometimes and uh, yeah, like I say, there's, there's a very like I say, basic rule system that you have to stick by and as long as you stick to it, you you uh, you can you can flourish. Do people come down from our country sort of with a, with a bit of an attitude, assuming that the locals don't know anything. This is my. This is sort of yeah. me with my personal beef. It shouldn't be really, but because uh, <laughs> it is. It is the. It is the attitude across the country. Um, it's kind of the Doc Martin kind of lifestyle down here. You know, we're all we're all bumpkins. We're all you know a bit soft, and uh, you could terrorize us with a balloon on a stick. Essentially, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what they quickly realise is that you know Cornwall's 
and you know Cornish towns as a community and it's a family and even if we don't get along amongst ourselves sometimes you know it's outsiders are always you know the enemy not well maybe not the enemy but you're, you're always outsiders aren't they so yeah. um people would rather stick with their own and uh yeah and you said about Nuki um, mm. people coming from well, that's it. Yeah, people come down from um, from Liverpool, especially. Um, occasionally, you get people from Manchester and things, and they just think that it's a town ready to be plucked. You know, because you've got obviously the drug scene in towns and cities is well established. It's you know it's very difficult to set up anything new. So, you see um, people from inner cities, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, Birmingham, even coming down to seaside towns because they know they're kind of party towns, and you can sell a lot of recreational drugs. Um, Torquay is is run by a lot of uh, Liverpool gangs. Um, and uh, you know Newquay is, is is the biggest town down here. I think something like seven out of every ten pounds is spent in Newquay, wow. um, in Cornwall. So yeah, so it's, it's clubs everywhere, pubs everywhere. It's a real party scene, and uh, yeah, recreational drugs are massive in Newquay. And if you can supply the control, uh, if you can control the supply, then uh, then you'll do well. But yeah, you get these little teams from um, from up north think they can come down and uh, and essentially just come down and set up and and, and take over. Um, but it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> <laughs> what what so what happens then? so if we if you come down in a team from mm. from Newquay and you think so from up country yeah, no, no. and you come down to Newquay and you set up in a business how how are they dealt with well what we used to find is that you know because I was we were never we, we we sold we sold drugs to our friends and we sold drugs to a couple of other people you know we weren't massive and huge we weren't controlling Newquay or anything like this but sometimes um, I remember the first time we, we 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 dealt with these people we came across these 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 outsiders is um my friend who was, was living in Newquay at the time lived on a kind of cul-de-sac yeah. and um they moved in and they, they took over one of the houses on on the on the cul-de-sac and uh, started selling pills drugs weed everything and uh and it, it disrupted my friend's supply uh, sales um so I just said to him one day let's just just go and deal with it let's go and let's go and stop these people from doing it um, so we went around there with a couple of bats and there was only two or three of them in the house at the time and we just we, we beat them around the legs and things and we, we just basically told them that this isn't the place for them and that you know they're not welcome in the town and we took everything we had they had we took their money their their phones their drugs their laptops everything <laughs> yeah. we just basically took everything they had and then and we, we kicked them out um, and no one in the town was ever going to stand up for them no one was no one was going to cry that we'd, we'd taken these people and, and kicked them up the bum so in fact we were patted on the back and and we sold their drugs and we, we spent their money and then <laughs> we, we partied all weekend did that enhance your reputation then amongst people yeah yeah um in in, in any town no matter Newquay's probably one of the bigger towns but yeah with any town we we had a reputation and we we um yeah we we, we were known within town and you know and my, my friends still are because they grow up and they, they lived in that town so I was, I was kind of riding off the back of their reputation slightly but yeah what we did was known and kind of you know, for a few months we were kind of celebrities and things because we did that to a few people. When they, whenever they came down, we were seen as this kind of problem stopper, essentially, um, and we liked it. You know, so we would get little old ladies coming up to us and saying, "Oh, the you know, there's a there's a gang selling drugs in our road. Come and do something about it." And we would, and then uh, they'd be patting us on the back. <laughs> so you know, we were criminals, but we were their criminals. Um, <laughs> wow! So, so, so actually, yeah. sort of. Dealers who got rid of anybody who wasn't welcome—that's quite mm. amazing, really. Yeah, it's it's it's. I've taken my my wife up to the estate afterwards because um, I keep telling her that, I, and I can't go back there really because it's. Whenever you go there, that they're, they're still the, the the people I used to hang around with are still associated with drugs and crime and 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 that kind of just party lifestyle because that's what Nuki is throughout the summer. If you're not yeah. working, everything you can just go and drink all day, party all day. There's plenty of money to be made selling drugs to tourists. Yeah. Um, so you can make a very good living all summer. 
doing that and then just sit back and retire every winter and then do it all again next summer. Um, but yeah, essentially we, we, you know, we'd be, I'd introduce my wife to this and, and, you know, she hadn't seen a life like this or, you know, like, you know, cause you know, the council estates and, and things in Newquay are quite tough, you know, compared to, you know, other places and things. And it's, um, yeah, she hadn't seen, you know, the level of, uh, how they stick together and how quickly, you know, you know, violence become apparent if you fall out of line. Um, do, do people fall out amongst each other down here as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it can be, it can be, um, any sort of thing. Cause, um, Again, there can be old rivalries, and and it's it all comes down to just essentially whenever I fell out with anybody, it was all over money um, or drugs. Um, so, for example, a couple of times because I, I used to be I used to supply drugs to people to go and sell, right. um, and I used to be able to get them quality drugs because um, I never used to cut anything. So whenever I used to get my supply from London or Bristol or anywhere else, I used to um, just dish it straight out. I would never cut it. Because some people cut it by a third and then hand it out sure. um, to try and up their money. I would never would. Because I, 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 I used to just party and take the drugs myself as well. So I always used to want people to have the best night out. Um, and if my stuff was cleaner than everybody else's, then they always came back to me. Okay. Um, so I, I, I made quite a good living just, you know, not being greedy and not, you know, not taking the mick. Um, so I used to, uh, you know, I used to send people off with, if I knew there was a party on, if I, you know, something like, um, you know, if, if Boardmaster was on. I'd go and send a few people to go and sell drugs there, um, but some people would do all the drugs and then not give me the money and things like that. So that's where you know where where falling outs would occur with me essentially. I mean, How did you know whether you could trust these people, or was it just an assumption? Um, you don't always, and, and 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 the problem is 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 like I say, it comes down to greed again um, because you can you can you can put things in the hands of people um, that you would normally trust, and then that temptation becomes there. Their, their breaking point <laughs> yeah. so you know when you're dealing with drugs and the drug world and, and things like that you're dealing with with money greed and addiction um so some people like i say would sell some of the drugs keep the money you know and then just not come and pay me back um and that would be difficult because then they would come back with they wouldn't just do it blatantly to your face they'd come back then and uh, and tell you that they've been robbed or they tell you that that um you know, they've been arrested and they've taken, you know, be some sort of sob story. So you've got to then trust, are they, are they lying to me? You know what I mean? So as soon as someone, anybody came back, but I remember there was an instance where two people week after week that I trusted, people that I thought I could trust, and they both come back to me with the same sob story saying that they'd been to a party, they'd sold everything, and then they'd been robbed. <laughs> when in reality, they'd done all the drugs themselves and then, or sold some of them, kept the money and then done the drugs themselves. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a real test because then you have to either have, you know, extreme violence so that nobody else does it to you, or you work out another path that you know that you can maybe go down, um, depending on what you want to do. But I'm also assuming that the, that the person who was supplying you mm. would have had people, a group of people like you, who was then getting people to deal for them. Mm. And if you made a mistake, then you surely you have to go and speak to them and and explain to them what's going on. And and are they were they are they people? I'm imagining them mm. to be more. Brutal, perhaps is that why they're where they are? Sometimes, um, sometimes it's 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 easy to believe that drug dealers are, are kind of bad and dangerous people. Um, but drug dealers are essentially people who can get hold of more of the drugs than they know what to do with. <laughs> so, yeah. So sometimes that was exactly how I started. So when I was seventeen and sixteen, I wasn't a badass. I wasn't the you know the world's most violent or horrible person. But I knew how to get hold of drugs when people at college didn't know how to get them. Right. Um, okay. So I would just supply my friends in college. 
How did you find out that, that though? Was it just pure luck that you found it out? Or? No, it's because again, we we came up from not the world's worst upbringing. Cornwall isn't isn't a bad place to grow up, but we grew up on council estates, and my older brother, um, who was ten years older than me, he he dealt drugs. Right. Um. So it was easy for me just by knowing him and his friends. I knew how to get hold of drugs. Sure. Um. So when my friends in college was just sort of like, oh, we need weed. And I was like, oh, I can get hold of weed. Um, so I would then supply them with little bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, and then when the guy I just supplied them, um, he got banged up. He went he went to prison. Um, so I went to the guy that used to supply him. And I'd say, look, can you help me out with bits so I can supply my friends? And he gave me um, an ounce. He said, rather than just taking the few little bits and pieces, why don't I give you an ounce? You break it up into little bits and pieces and give it to your friends. And then you pay me at the end of the week. Right. And I was just like, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, yeah. instead of me just being the runner, I was then making a bit of money off it as well. Yeah. Um, so then when I was at college, I was making more money than if I had a job. <laughs> so yeah. I was just thinking, like, what is the point in this? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm slowing myself down because I, I've got to be in college all day. I can't go and sell drugs. So I can't, you know, supply my market. Um, so, oh, I love. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and so in the end, I ended up dropping out of college um, and just spending more and more time in the pub because while you're in the pub, you get access to sort of your customers and the people who you know are around and who yeah. want these things. Um, so yeah, I dropped out of college and I started uh, just essentially just supplying friends. My my younger brother had ended up in care at that point, um, so I was occasionally they would break out of the care home that they were in. And they would take like the kitty money <laughs> yeah. and they'd come to me and spend it all on weed. Um, so they, I was supplying all these kind of little delinquent, out of control kids with drugs as well, who then grew up and became some of my best customers. Um, so, you know, it was, it was again, like I say, drug, this whole idea of sometimes of drug dealers as being these horrible people, it's just, essentially it's not. It's, 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 sometimes it's a network of good blokes who don't want to deal with criminals. Right, um, who right. like, you know, the, you know, like the badasses um, who, you know, they're little old men. The amount of dealers I've met who can move lots of drugs, uh, who are family men and uh, just guys who, just old hippies who essentially decided to maybe grow a load in an old shed they've had. You know what I mean? So the idea that sometimes the, the person you get it from is is this kind of Phil Mitchell character who's going to, you know, drop you in the river if you do anything wrong. Yeah. It's not always like that sometimes. So um, people want it to be straightforward then. Mm. But, the, but then it isn't though is it because it or, or not always I mean you mentioned for example taxing drug other drug dealers how mm. did that come about um, because selling selling drugs isn't always a regular income um, and you can't always get hold of decent drugs sometimes so sometimes it might be weeks in between supply so like the guy you get it from normally might have gone on holiday you know drug, yeah. drug supplies go away for months on end sometimes because <laughs> they right. can afford to sure. um, so sometimes like you know the supply dries up or something like this and uh, you know you end up doing sort of petty crimes and things and, and you know we, we um, in our little group we would sometimes go and rob um, in, in, in the mid 2000s there was a lot of uh, building work going on um, so there was a lot of show homes um, so we used to, on any building site when they're building a new estate they, they build a show home and then they kit it out with all new furniture and stuff um, but essentially you've got an estate full of empty houses at night so we used to just drive up kick the door off the, the show home and take all the furniture because it's all brand new never even been sat on <laughs> yeah. and we'd go and do two or three of those a night and we'd um, just go and take all the stuff to a local furniture guy down here in Poole and he was over the moon he'd be having all this brand new furniture every two or three days <laughs> he didn't know what to do wow, with it okay. yeah we filled his warehouse full of like brand new furniture and stuff and he'd just 
you know, the suppliers. But eventually, you know, you can't do two or three a night for for long before you've taken over two or three counties. You've gone and done all the building sites on, you know, so it, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't last. So you have to kind of you start looking for other options. So, you know, you, you, you go back to selling drugs and you're selling this and that. And then, you know, eventually you just think, well, we used to rob, you know, straight goers and get okay cash, but they're going straight to the police every time. And now three counties are looking for us. Yeah. Why don't we just rob a drug dealer like we did back in Nuki that time when no one's going to rob, but no one's going to talk to the police. No one's going to question us. You know, he's not going to report that his money's gone missing. You know, he's certainly not going to report that his half a kilo of coke's gone missing. <laughs> um, so we just thought, why don't we just target these guys instead? Why don't we just go after the drug dealers who are never going to go to the police? Is that not dangerous? Am I naive to ask whether that's dangerous <laughs> or not? Because I, because once again, you know, if you've seen Breaking Bad, then yeah. you automatically assume, and I can't even believe I said that. But you, uh, uh, do, do, are you, do you not have weapons? Did they have weapons? Yes. Do they, uh, yes. do weapons, they not have any dogs, knives, guns, all sorts? So, so, um, and did they not have any sort of safeguarding mechanism? Because presumably, do they not think? Well, hang on. I'm a drug dealer. There's other people around. There's a bit of a drought at the moment. Tons of furniture's gone missing. <laughs> Chances are someone's going to come and rob us. Do they not make provisions for that? Yes, yes, they do. Um, you just have to catch them out. Um, we we would be we would pick our targets carefully. So you wouldn't pick someone who was the kind of you mentioned Breaking Bad, but the the, the crazy Mexican guy. What was his name? I can't. Oh remember. yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Tuco. Yeah, Tuco. Yes, yes. Yeah, you wouldn't go and rob him. You'd leave him alone. <laughs> he can go and do right. what he wants all day. Um, but you'd go and rob the Jessies of the world. Right. Um, okay. So you would go and sure. pick on the the smaller guy. Like um, when we when we used to go and pick stuff up from Plymouth sometimes. Um, with a drug deal, it's not it's not like you see in in the films and stuff. So you don't ever meet up and the two of you are standing in a road and there's a, you know a parcel being handed <laughs> over. It doesn't work like that. You, what what tends to happen is that the the drug dealer's girlfriend will own a salon so you send your girlfriend to their salon to go and give over 10 grand and they'll go and put it beyond the counter in the salon and then you go and meet someone else in a pub car park who tells you to go and meet someone else on a road somewhere and then some little 17 year old in a ford fiesta will pull up and just throw the drugs in through the window and then drive off again okay um so that's generally how it works and there's just that element of trust and it but that also puts those safeguards in so if either of us get caught in that drug deal i haven't got any money and he hasn't got any drugs so neither of us are going to prison, but you know everyone around us might end up, you know, implicated at some point. But, sure. Um, that's you know that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, but what we used to do is the little lad driving around in the Fiesta, we'd watch him and follow him, and then just go and rob him because he's the one with all the drugs, <laughs> oh, <laughs> or the guy at the, the you know the the woman with the the, the you know the beauty salon, yeah. you know, who goes and takes the ten grand and puts it behind the counter. At some point, they've got to take that money out, so you just go and like wait for them to go and close. Um, and then just go and terrorise them when they when they they close the shop. Um, so it's that sort of thing. It's you know it's it's um, yeah it's it's just finding weak points. Um, you, you know because you don't want to be you know you don't want to be robbing the big tough guys with the dogs and the guns and things like that. But you you, you exploit the people in town who don't have any backup, or you exploit the person in town who's just sat at home on own on his own all day who stumbled across some good pills or cocaine and things like this. Like. One of the first people that we, we did this to, um, I was living in a bed sit in, in Red Ruth and uh, he was just this gobby little guy who used to come up and kind of just like talk about stuff all the time. And um, and one day he, he come up and he said that he'd he'd had some luck and he'd robbed this drug dealer and he'd got 10 grand and half a kilo of coke. And he sat there and he couldn't wait to tell me about it. 
So as soon as he went back downstairs, I phoned my friends who just went down there and took it off him. Yeah. <laughs> so th- those are the kind of people we robbed. We didn't rob the people who are difficult and would cause us massive problems. You rob the people that you can get away with, you know. But we it, left it to the more dangerous guys to rob the dangerous guys. Okay. Know? But then it works both ways. Did anyone ever try and rob you? Mm. And then how did you deal with that? Um, well, I don't know about any of the other attempts, but I've had people like when 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 I first started um, dealing uh, weed, um, it was the solid kind of bar stuff, you know, the the, the solid stuff that you yeah, know, like the hippies used to smoke. Um, they, I, I used to sell that when I was when I was younger, and um, someone asked for half ounce of it, and they wanted to meet me in town. So I went into town and got the half ounce in my hand, and I sort of you know waiting there, and he come around the corner and he, he said, "Oh, have you got it?" So I showed it to him, and he was just like, "Oh." I just got to go and show my friend a sec and then I'll be back with the money. So I thought, okay, so I give it to him and he went off. And I stood there and I waited. And I waited. <laughs> and I waited and went back around the corner and there was no one there. He'd taken my drugs and he'd gone. <laughs> so and I was just like, you idiot, you absolute goon. You give him the whole parcel and you waited for him to come back in good faith. And I'd been robbed. Um, and there was no one there and no one was coming back and the phone didn't work anymore. And, you know, it was, it was, I'd been robbed. And I was like, that's not happening again. Um, so in, in, in future you give them a small piece of the parcel to go and show their friends if they want to rather than the whole parcel <laughs> right so you learn so you, you just learn from your errors and you know there is that lessons. yeah there's that naivety when you're young but it's and it, and it happens to people when they're older as well because um, there's, there's there's people I know in, from, from Camborne who have who have gone up country to go and get cocaine and, and parcels and like three kilos of it I think he went to go and get and uh, he met someone in a car park somewhere and they sliced open the top of it and give him a testo and it was all good um, everything was good. You give them all the cash, which would have been a hundred grand or so, um, um, and then they realise that they've got three parcels of ca- uh, candle wax. Um, so the very top of it, where he sliced it open, was cocaine in the bit. Yeah. But all the rest of it was just candle wax, um, and he just spent a hundred grand on, on on essentially some Yankee candles. <laughs> what were the consequences of that? Because that's well, a huge insult. It is. It is. I mean, it's that's the kind of stuff that starts wars if you're able to 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 win them. I mean, if you're not, if you just if you've been robbed and you've got nothing to do to, to fight back, then you take it on the chin and you learn. But it's an expensive lesson to learn. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine what a hundred grand in cash looks like. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a lot of. It's not, it's, not, it's not that much actually. It would fit. It would fit in a suitcase. Um, it's not. I've had. I've had. Uh, 40 grand in cash in my hands before and it's it's two handfuls of money it's, it's, it's not that much to be honest well, with you I, I, I feel bad if I have a 50 pound note I feel like I'm a bit no one's ever gonna no one's ever gonna believe I own this naturally yeah, yeah amazing yeah. so we were talking about prison earlier on and, yeah. and because it seems that there's a lot of painful lessons really that that you learn i guess if something's painful yeah. then you remember it and i'm assuming that you try not to make the same mistake twice it is it's a learning curve again um prison is a whole different ball game um i've been in prison my older brother has and my younger brother um and when my younger brother came into prison i'd been i think i was on my second sentence when he came in and i saw him on the wing walk past me you know so um, and I told him it's like driving on the motorway. You've got to get on, and you've got to get on at seventy. You've got to, you know, you've got to um, keep up and be on form. Otherwise, you're just going to get swallowed up. Because when I first went to prison, I um, there was a, there was a lad who tried bullying me within my first couple of weeks of being in there, um, and uh, 
you know the kind of way it works in, in when you start is um, you, you have this kind of tracksuit on that's it's blue and red and sticks out from everybody else because everyone else is wearing their own clothes or like jeans or right. or something and, and you've got this blue and red tracksuit on so you stick out like a sore thumb um, and uh, they have they have a canteen at the time now the canteen is the place where you can go and buy your sort of chocolate bars and, and treats and, and, and things like that um, and they give you a pillowcase so you can go and buy some stuff and uh yeah, and then they kick you out in the exercise yard once you've got your stuff. Um, and this lad just come over to me, took my pillowcase off me, and then started going through it. And I just froze with with fear because I didn't know what to do. I'd been told by staff and my probation officer and my solicitor um, that uh, you know just to keep my head down and I would be out, you know, at the earliest opportunity. And uh, yeah, so with all that ringing in my ears, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was frozen by the fact that this guy was the first guy since I was a child at school that made me feel scared. Um, but yet I didn't have any idea how to deal with it. Um, and yeah, but, uh, yeah, he tried, he tried taking my stuff off me. Um, the, the staff actually intervened at that point. They saw him sort of take my pillowcase off me and they, they sort of knocked on the window and made him give it back. But it's, uh, yeah, it was a very difficult scenario very quickly to have to deal with, of you know, just being a victim and, and being weak in prison essentially. But it changed though, didn't it? It did change. You have to you have to toughen up quite quickly. Um, later on that day, I did see a, a bunch of lads um, just attack a guy like a like a pack of seagulls. Like they just there was there was must have been like eight to ten of them just attacking. He had two pillowcases full of stuff, so he was he was more of a victim than I was at that point. Um, and they just stripped everything he had of you know and beat him up. And uh, and because it had happened so badly, the, the savage thing was is that they had to throw all the stuff they took off him out the window. So everything just went straight out the window because when they knew that the staff found out about the attack. They would go and search everyone. Yeah. Um, so they knew that all the stuff they'd taken, they just they just threw it all out the window. So they'd attacked him, beaten him, robbed him, and then just give away the stuff because they couldn't keep hold of it. Um, but that was just the mentality in prison, as in you know, it's it's you're either prey or you're you're a predator essentially. Um, and that's the kind of the two roles you have to t- try and you know which one you're most comfortable with taking essentially. Did you become the predator then? I was never never a bully. I never. Never bullied anyone out of their, their belongings. I never took anyone's things that, that you know, that, that had them. But um, we did used to bring drugs into the prison. We did used to bring items and phones and things into the prison. And and to keep on top of that, you would have to stop and and attack other people sometimes. But it was only people that kind of deserved it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like bullying as in, you know, taking something off a victim. But if there was another a rival gang or a rival firm that wanted to do something to you, or if they'd grassed on you or dumped something like that, then then violence would occur. Yeah. So there are gangs in prison then. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's not it's not like you see in um, in Shawshank Redemption where you've got like the Mexicans and you know like the you know the the, the, the white supremacists and things like this. It's it's not like that in, in English prisons. But it's there are definitely gangs of. of uh, it's, it normally ends up being regional, so you'll end up with sort of London gangs and Manchester gangs and Liverpool and, and the South West. Weirdly, yeah. um, people from Cornwall stick together, um, so the Cornish seek each other out in prison, and we and we, we stick together. Yeah, um, and some of the friends that I met in prison, I'm, I'm continuing, even though none of us are, are active in crime anymore. We're, we're all approaching our forties, but we're all still close friends. Maybe four or five of us from prison are still close friends now. That's, that um, just makes me laugh. Yeah. That that does. I can. I mean, I get it. I can speak. <laughs> if I see someone with a Cornish rugby top on anywhere in the world, I go, "Oh right, boy," and that's it. You know, you. It feels that's like it, yeah. you've known them all your life. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, if somebody you spoke as well earlier on mm. about how if 
how intense it can get and how if somebody sort of wrongs you in prison that, yes. that you have you kind of make a mental note of it you, you can do because you, you have all sorts of occurrences in, in prison where things can spark and it's the smallest little thing so it can be any slight little wrong um, I, I remember hearing on one of your other podcasts about how um, something about at night because you do you get banged up about eight o'clock so from that from eight o'clock onwards you're behind your door so some people get go to their window and they start shouting out their window and they're talking to other people and uh, the, a lot of items get passed from cell to cell at window for, for, from a line so yeah. what you'll do is you'll you'll take the edge of your bed sheet and you'll slice it with the razor blade until you make a strip a thin strip like a bit of string and then you'll tie it up and then you'll do it again and again until you've got a long enough line to to reach either down because some of these wings are five stories high yeah so you know you're talking you know 50 60 foot <laughs> down yeah. to from one side to the other and then you know if you're swinging line you can get a line you know five or six cells across and then you know 50 foot down and things so um but yeah no that and you know if someone's come back from a home leave and they've got drugs on them or something they'll be passing stuff around and things and um but yeah it can it can end up if there's an insult thrown out at night or if someone's being loud or making noise or playing the radio too loud or all of these little things can end up being violence in the morning and generally the way the mornings used to go is you get opened up about quarter past eight and then by 20 past eight the alarm bell will be ringing where someone's gone they're going to sort out some sort of trouble they had um and it can be as petty as i used to work in the gym i was one of the gym orderlies um and as a gym orderly you'd have to referee football matches and you'd have to take weight sessions and you'd have to do the, the, the inductions and things like this and I remember I sent someone off in the football match, um, and they took a they they took offence to that, even though they you know they were they were wholly right to have a red card. Um, so the next morning they were at my cell first thing in the morning. As soon as they opened the door, they were coming in my cell door. Um, I think they believed that I would be in bed and that they could just you know do me in while I was in bed. Uh, but because I worked in the gym, I was up first thing, ready to ready to go to work. So um, it kind of diffused the situation as soon as he saw me up, and he kind of just had a bit of a moan about you know being sent off and have we got a problem, and and then he kind of he kind of left, but. Yeah, I think if I'd just been laid in bed sleeping, he probably would have just, you know, thrown a few blows in and then kind of thought he was going to teach me a lesson. And do, well, obviously it can be very violent there. Mm. You said that the, the people get people get killed in there. I mean, can that happen? You can do. I mean, it, it, it does happen. And, and prison, in, you know, because I've been out for nearly 10 years now yeah. and it's become a whole lot more violent place since since I was there. Um, but yeah, no, my, my older brother was in prison and um, he said that while he was there, um it was he worked he he worked on the servery which is where you serve up the food and things and it's 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 just basically a slop tray so you go through and you you <laughs> you get your allocation of you know your meat and then you get your veg and then your spud and then you go and get a dessert and there'll sometimes be an option of one or two of the desserts so it'd be and and making it you know dessert is a is a, is a you know is bigging it up it kind of <laughs> So it'll be a rock cake that you could, you know, is a rock. Right. Um, or it'll be some 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 um, plain uh, sponge and custard. And I think this chap wanted both. He wanted both desserts. You know, one evening he, okay. you know, he thought he, he for whatever reason, he, he could have both. So, And the, the chap behind the uh, server, he didn't want him to. He said, no, you can only have one. Um, and from this, the uh, yeah, he, he came back down and he stabbed the, uh, the guy on the server. And, and the guy died. Um, so he lost his life over a dessert. Um, you know, no matter what these two did outside of prison, you know, it came down to a you know a bit of sponge and custard at the end of the day. Wow, um, that's, that's so intense. Yeah, it? and it's it's because everything in prison is magnified by a thousand. So, um, you'll you'll see the the, the toughest guys you'll ever meet um, be broken by things that happen outside of prison. 
So, you know, you can cope with anything. You can have riots, you can have, you know, the biggest bully picking on you and things like this. But you get that one letter from outside that tells you something's happened and they'll crumble. Thank you very much for listening. Part two will be out next week. I appreciate everything. I appreciate the support. I appreciate people leaving comments on and star ratings on iTunes and sharing it because I can't do this without you, really. I want to get this out there and just tell these, get people to hear these extraordinary stories. So thank you very much. And I will speak to you again.